I realized at a young age that we don't live in a fantasy world. We live in the real world, a broken world, and it requires faith. Every day, we pass by hundreds of people. Every day, we struggle with who we are. We live in a generation that displays a fantasy life where everything looks perfect. We live in a generation that doesn't see hurting people, even when they're all around us. A lot of us believe the lie that if you live for yourself, you'll be happy. And a lot of us believe the lie that when you are broken, you are not loved. But here's where faith comes in. You are loved by someone who made you in his image. And when you open your eyes and see the people around you, Jesus Christ will use you to change lives. Because the church is not a fantasy place for perfect people. No, each one of us are the church. So in a broken world, I don't choose false truths, and I don't choose fantasy Christianity. I choose faith. What do you choose? So if you have your Bible, I want you to go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 16 tonight. Matthew chapter 16 tonight. And as you're turning there, I want to say a quick word about the series. I'm very excited for our summer semester. I believe the Lord works through summer semesters. I believe that summer is a big time in the life of a college student. I myself was called to ministry during the summertime. I proposed to my wife during the summertime. Amen. I, uh, summer is a big time in the life of a college student, of a master's student. And uh, I believe that the Lord is going to work hugely through this series. And what we're doing, you've seen it on social media and the video before, we are doing a series titled Faith Over Fantasy. Now, I want to go ahead and give you the goal of this series. Anything that we do at The View, we want to say the why behind it. Well, here's the why. Why are we doing Faith Over Fantasy? Is it because this poster that our media team designed looks cute and looks amazing and we want to talk about something like this? Is it because we're hoping it's catchy enough to bring you in? No and no. I love the poster and I love that you're here, but no and no. Here's the goal. It will be on the screen. To let go of fantasy misconceptions about the Christian life and live out real faith. To let go of fantasy misconceptions about the Christian life and live out real faith. Now, some of the things that were spoken about in that video that we just watched before we get to Matthew, some of the things that were spoken about in that video, we have all seen played out live. This is not the first time you'll experience this. Maybe it is, but here in the South, you've experienced it before. Oftentimes, when it comes to Christianity, most people don't know the true gospel. In fact, there's a lot of Christians who don't know the real gospel. There's many people who just in that video, as Salsa said brilliantly with his voice acting, that like how he's walking past that bench too, trying his hardest to flex. <laughs> yeah, trying his hardest to get them shoulders popping. That was a small he had on. That's what you know. <laughs> like that. It's not a view service, so I'm not picking on you. Amen. It's a little backwards cap. And uh, <laughs> fantasy church. He said in that video, he said, the church is not a fantasy place for perfect people. I want to tell you first and foremost, the view is a place of imperfect people. And you got an imperfect pastor. In fact, we're a bunch of broken, sinful people is what we are. That's the truth of Christianity, that the world is fallen. In fact, you don't have to know the Bible or be a believer to see that the world is fallen. We live in a very fallen, broken world. We have broken lives. We have broken families all around us. We have broken college campuses. We have college students living in sin every day. You see it. I do too. You don't have to be a Christian or know the Bible to see that the world is broken and sinful. And it's because of that sin that we need a Savior. However, a lot of times in the South, what we do is we play church. (laughs) You know it, and I know it too. A lot of times we believe, in fact, a lot of people, their perception of the church is that it's a Christian club. You ever heard that? (laughs) That's a club for Christians. That's where the non-drinkers go. (laughs) That's where the people who don't dance go, the Baptists. (laughs) In reality, the church is not a fantasy place for perfect people. It's a hospital for the sick. It's the arms and feet of Jesus Christ. It's what God, it's what Jesus himself in our text tonight ordained to be the light of the world, to bring about the gospel to the nations. That's what the church is. But we get it very, very misconstrued in our culture today. And so in this Faith Over Fantasy series, if you will, my prayer is that as we get ready for August, and I believe August is going to be a huge time, 
for revival and what God is sending as we return to the college campuses. This summer, I want us to let go of fantasy misconceptions. If we believe that when we become a Christian, we will have a Lamborghini parked outside for us the next day, we need to let that go because that's not how it works. <laughs> Maybe it is. If that's your testimony, let me know. <laughs> okay? If that's your testimony, let me know. I want to know what prayer you prayed. <laughs> you got some cheat code I don't have. Because the Christian life oftentimes is not met with comfort, is it? In fact, all times, the Christian life is not met with prospering in the world oftentimes. It's not always met with fame and acceptance and approval. In fact, everyone that you look at, all of the disciples that followed Jesus were persecuted. Eleven of them were killed for their faith. And so the Christian life is met with suffering. Count on all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. James says that because he knows the Christian life is filled with trials of what? Various kinds. But we don't understand that here in the South. We don't know what the true gospel is. Over the summer, we're going to dig in deep as to what it is. But the first question we have to ask is, what is faith? And we're not going to the world. We're not going to Daniel. We're going to Hebrews chapter 11. This will be on the screen, verses 1 to 3. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by it, our ancestors won God's approval. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Don't you love that? You think about a cross-reference to John 1.1. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not invisible. How many of you know that we are living in an era that requires to have faith in a God that we might not see? Do you realize that? That's faith. Do you know why prayer is the hardest spiritual discipline oftentimes? Because I believe it requires some of the most faith. See, with this, at least you've got it right in front of you. Prayer is believing and trusting that you are speaking to your creator, even if you don't physically see him. And yet he's so present that a blind man can see him. Do you believe in the Lord? I believe you will tonight. I believe he has brought you here for a reason. In fact, faith, described by Tony Evans, I love this. You'll love this too. It's on the screen. He says, faith is this. When God speaks to you, you take him at his word. <laughs> Don't you love that? In other words, when God speaks, you believe it. <laughs> That's what faith is, and that's a paraphrased quote. Well, let's put that back up there for one more second. Let's put this quote back up there. Faith is this. When God speaks to you, and believe me, he has spoken. You take him at his word. When God speaks, you believe it. Listen, God has spoken. All throughout history, he has spoken. He is a talker. He is way more of a talker than I am. He is a talker. He has spoken. In fact, he spoke all of creation into existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, representing Jesus Christ, that all things were made through Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ, because he is the sinless Savior of the world. And that's where we place our faith. So I want to ask you a question. When God speaks, do you believe it? And tonight you may be here, you may not be a believer, and we may differ on this, but faith comes into play when God speaks, you believe it. Now, when a believer is struggling with their faith, that means somewhere there's an area in their life where God's word is not enough. Whenever you struggle with faith, that means there is an area of your life where God's word is not enough. In fact, I wrote this down. When the enemy attacks your faith, he is really attacking your trust in what God has said. Do you remember Genesis chapter 3? When the devil came to Eve and said, did God really say? In fact, you'll remember very clearly in Luke chapter 4 when the devil also tempted Jesus, the nerve, first off, to tempt the Son of God, the sinless Son of God, the devil has nerve. I'll tell you what, he's a loser, but he's not a quitter. He's a loser. And he tempts Jesus, and he comes to Jesus, and he tries to use God's word against Jesus. And Jesus, does he fall for it? Absolutely not. He rewrites the wrong of the garden where Adam and Eve fell so that you and I can have faith in him. So when your faith is wavering, ask yourself the question, is God's word enough for me? Is God's word enough for you? In fact, if you can't bet on God's word to be reliable, what in the world can you bet on? I'll tell you what, you can't bet on your friends. I'll tell you what, you can't bet on me, because at some point I'm going to let you down because I'm a broken sinner too. Guess what? At some point your friends are going to let you down. You can't bet on the airlines. You book a flight, and guess what? You know why there's insurance on that flight? Because you can't bet on it. <laughs> You got to get insurance on a flight in case something happens in order to rework your flight. You can't bet on the flight to land at the time it tells you. There is absolutely nothing you can bet on except the word of God to always be faithful. So if you cannot put your faith in what God has said, 
Where will you place your faith? Is the question that I want us to look at tonight. Now, the reason why our faith often fails is because we have placed our faith into a fantasy and not into truth. These are some of the things I wrote down. I'm going to go through them quick to make sure that we do well on time tonight. We place our faith in being religiously sound. Jesus had a lot to say to those who were religiously sound, the leaders of his day, the Pharisees. And don't tell me that we don't do this here in the South. A lot of us, I wrote this down, it convicted me. A lot of us work so hard to convince others that we've been with God that we actually convince ourselves we've been with God when really we hadn't been with God the whole week. <laughs> we work so hard convincing others that we actually start to believe it. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It's true. I'm a victim of it all the time. I wrote this down. We place our faith in being seen by others as wise, the most knowledgeable, as being seen as the most spirit-led. Jesus said, if you live for others, you have your reward. If you live for heaven, your reward will be in heaven. What reward do you want? I want a heavenly reward. We place our faith in ourselves. In other words, we place our faith in a God who looks more like us than the God of the Bible. I wrote this down. We place our faith in God when he is love, but not when he is just and righteous. You want to talk about prayer? I'm passionate about prayer. My team, we try to pray as often as we can. I want them to get sick of prayer. I want them to be tired of prayer. They should, if they ever come to me and say we're not praying enough, that's one of the biggest indictments on our team. I want them to get sick of prayer. I wrote this down. We place our faith in Jesus when things go our way, but not when things don't go our way. In fact, and I want you to really think about this. I'm going quick for a reason, but I'm going to slow down for this one. I want you to really think about this. We place our faith in prayer as long as God answers them our way, but we lose faith when he answers our prayers his way. Some of you are all like, man, this is the view. <laughs> this is what folks talking about. <laughs> Yep, we preach the word. And then we wonder why it feels like we're just playing church. I don't want to play church tonight. I don't want to play sermon. I don't want to go through the motions. I want us to experience the power of God tonight. And so the title is No More Playing Church, Part One. No More Playing Church, Part One. And next week we're going to do part two, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 16 tonight. Now, as we come to Matthew chapter 16, this is essentially the turning point of Matthew's gospel. Right after this text is when Jesus tells them what must happen to him in his death and his resurrection. This is the turning point of Matthew chapter 16. I cannot emphasize the importance of this text tonight. We're picking up in the life of Jesus. For, for many of you who are unfamiliar with the Bible, you probably are familiar with the Gospels to some certain extent. We're picking up in the middle of Jesus' life. The disciples have been with him for about two years up until this point. They've seen many things, and they've heard many things about the man that they're following named Jesus, who is a Middle Eastern Jewish rabbi. And at this point, we reach a turn. And I want to show you what that turn is, and we're going to pick it apart in two weeks. So look with me in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples. We're going to come back to that. In fact, if you have a pen, underline asked in your Bible, he asked his disciples. It's very important here. The Greek tense that's used, we're going to come back to that and really imagine this moment coming to life. He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, he uses his humanity term, his suffering term, the son of man, and that's very important. He uses the son of man term here, and he's asking them who do people say that the son of man is. They replied, verse 14. Uh, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus then says, but you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Can you imagine? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Notice how Jesus asked about the Son of Man. Peter says, The Son of the living God. And then, those are our verses for tonight, but I'm going to go ahead and read next week's verses. Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. 
And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I'll read that again. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosened in heaven. Then he gave the disciple order to tell no one that he was the Messiah. So next week, he makes sure that you come back. Make sure that you are here, because next week I'm going to do verses 17 to 20. You do not want to miss those verses. Let's pray tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are in this room with us. Father, thank you that you cleared the rain away. Lord, just as I got up here, I got the alert about a thunderstorm coming. Lord, you, you gave us just the amount of time we needed to have fun outside, Lord, and then to come in here and to worship your name. God, you are so good. Lord, I pray for any soul in here who does not know you, that they would repent and believe in the name of Jesus tonight. God, I pray for all of us that you would speak, that we would not play church, that we would not go through the motions, that we would not just be here, dear God, please. We pray, God, that as the storm goes on outside, (laughs) that a spiritual storm in our hearts would occur in here, that you would encourage us and convict us of sin and call us out of any lifestyle we shouldn't be in. Lord, I pray that you would please Do whatever you want tonight, Lord. I give you every aspect of the sermon, every word. Who cares what I have to say? We want to hear you, Lord. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. If that's your prayer, say amen. 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 Number one, I've got two things tonight. Number one, the world has a wrong view of the identity of Jesus. The world has a wrong view of the identity of Jesus. Now, the most important part of this whole night is the scripture that we have read before us. And my goal is to bring this scripture to life, not an outside story or some illustration, but I want this moment to resonate in our hearts. I want this moment that we have just read about in scripture to come alive. And if there's not a lot of jokes told tonight and not a lot of laughs, I want you to understand it's not because I'm some unlaughable guy. I don't even know if unlaughable is a word. Is unlaughable a word? unfunny guy, whatever you want to put there. It's because me and my team have a sense of urgency about the gospel in this city. I don't want to play around. I want to experience God. Do you want to experience the Lord? I want to experience God's presence in whatever way he is willing to let me experience his presence. I want it. Now, understand here in Matthew chapter 16, this is not a casual moment. I told you to underline the first asked when Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Now, what's very fascinating about this is that the Greek tense used here delivers the meaning, watch this, that he asked his disciples repeatedly, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, Lauren, imagine this moment. (laughs) Imagine the moment that you are one of the disciples. You're standing with Jesus, and it's very possible. In fact, a lot of commentators speculate that he asked each disciple individually, (laughs) who do people say the Son of Man is? Can you imagine a pop quiz from Jesus? (laughs) Uh, Dakota talked about e-courseware. I struggle with my quizzes for my master's work. Jesus put me on the spot. I'm getting nervous. <laughs> and he goes a, a possibly to each one of them individually and says, who do people say the son of man is? He wants to know. He's asking them on the spot. And the question made the disciples think, and I want you to think about this too. This is so good. The disciples started thinking this. What have we heard about Jesus? Nate? They started thinking, Trey, okay, what have we heard? What have people said about Jesus? Because, Nathaniel, they've been with Jesus for two years. They've heard all kinds of things about their Savior. They've heard him ridiculed. They've heard things speculated about him. For two years, they've seen their follower, their leader that they're following, hated on, pushed out of towns after he cast demons out. They asked him to lead. They said, hey, you have no place here. You need to go to rejection at Nazareth. We've, they've seen a whole lot about Jesus Christ. Many have asked, who is this man? What authority does he have? Others have said that he has a demon, that Jesus is a lawbreaker and up to no good. In fact, for two years, they've heard all kinds of false statements about Jesus. I want to ask you tonight, what have you heard about Jesus? (laughs) We live in 2021 America. We have access to everything at every moment. Our phones are never off. In fact, when was the last time your phone was off? It's on silent. It might be on Do Not Disturb, but the last time we actually turned our phone off was probably a year ago. 
because we always have it on. It's always on the charger. We have access to everybody. We have more conversations today than probably ever in history because of our phones, which means you on TikTok, on Instagram, in your friend groups, in your classrooms, all throughout the city and even at the grocery store, (laughs) have heard about Jesus Christ. In fact, you know what? The number one way you have probably heard the name of Jesus, you want to know? You ready for this? Is taking his name in vain. You will hear the name of Jesus taken in vain out in the world more than a whole lot of sermons. That's not in my notes. People take Jesus' name in vain whenever they want to. For a society that doesn't believe Jesus was real, they sure do say his name a lot. In fact, when we were doing the names of God, and we were walking through Elohim, Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, Jacob preached on that, I made a statement in that series. This was a while ago, but I want to bring that statement back. One thing I said was, don't make reference to the name of Jesus if you have no reverence for the name of Jesus. (laughs) In other words, don't refer to the name of Jesus until you have respect for the name of Jesus. Because all, even in Christian communities, we love to take Jesus's name in vain. The most that you have actually heard about Jesus is just hearing his name when somebody stubs their toe. Isn't that a shame that the Messiah, the one who knows you so deeply, loves you so deeply, came down to this earth, bore every sin on the cross, died, and then resurrected from the grave three days later, and the most you hear about his name is taken in vain and shouted out in hip-hop songs when people want something to rhyme with Christ? (laughs) Isn't that amazing? The kind of culture that we live in. That's what we have heard about Jesus. When you go on your college campus, you'll hear people say that Jesus doesn't exist, even though the evidence that we have for Jesus' existence stacks way higher than other historic figures that we have no problem believing in. You hear that Jesus is not God. In fact, I've had many conversations with people at the University of Memphis. Ellie, I'll sit down with them when I was a student, even to this day, when we go to campus ministry. I'll talk to him about Jesus. Some will say, yeah, I believe Jesus was real. Great moral teacher. He ain't God, though. Have you heard that before? So let me ask you, what have you heard about Jesus? And then is it true? We can't know who Jesus is until we realize how wrong the world is about him. Just because you hear something doesn't make it true. In fact, I'll go a little step further. Just because something looks catchy on somebody's Instagram story does not make that theologically correct. Just because somebody is saying something that sounds catchy on TikTok does not make it theologically correct. But here's the thing. You and I will never know what is true or false until we know the truth. How in the world can you go out there into the world and find out the truth about Jesus Christ if you have not started here? How will we know what truth is if we have not started here? In fact, LifeWay did a study. 53% at most in our country only know a few stories and verses of the Bible. At the most. 10% have never read it, but at the most, 53% of our population only knows a few stories or verses. And you know what's crazy, Will? In each household, there's on average three Bibles in America. On average, in each household, there's three Bibles. Do you know that there are people in China, there's believers in China and India who have more scripture memorized in their heart than some American believers read in three years? I'm not fussing at you, man. I'm not getting on you. I'm in the same boat with you. Listen, we won't know truth until we have let God's word get in us. (laughs) We have to spend time in this. I cannot stress it enough. So when you look, at what they say here. And this is very fascinating. Remember their answers. They said John the Baptist, Corey. They said Elijah. They said a prophet. They said Jeremiah. They said a whole bunch of answers. Now here's what's amazing. All the popular things that they had heard were wrong. Everything they spouted off about what the crowds had said was wrong, and yet it was the popular truth. I want to tell you a great sentiment. The popular truth is often not the actual truth, and the actual truth is often not popular. But we eat it up. The popular truth is often not the actual truth, 
And the actual truth is often not popular. In fact, right after these verses, Jesus says in Matthew 16, verse 21, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples, here's the term in Matthew's gospel. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. That's not popular. And they didn't like that when he told them he was going to be killed. But that was truth. And you know what? You and I hold the truth of the gospel. When we share it with others, they might not like it. The question is, do we care about their soul enough? Do we believe in the reality of heaven and hell enough to still tell them about Jesus? How much do we have to hate somebody to not tell them about Jesus? I love going to the zoo. Hard shift. <laughs> like that? I do love going to the zoo. My two down things about the zoo is it's always hot because you got to go in the summer and you sweat. And it smells really, really bad, which is a given. You expect that. But I enjoy going to the zoo. I'm terrified of snakes, though. Anybody terrified of snakes? I can't stand snakes. I don't want to go anywhere near the snake exhibit. I don't care if they're in a 10-foot wide glass in between me and the snake. I don't want to see it, okay? I don't want to see it. But my least favorite part every time I go to the zoo is when I see the lions. In fact, I got a picture that's going to come up on the screen. I, whenever I go to the zoo, I hate seeing the lions because I love lions. <laughs> I love Lion King which I obviously I know isn't realistic. <laughs> I know they're not singing in the jungle, but I hate seeing the lions whenever I go to the zoo because seeing them cooped up in a 50-foot-wide cage is depressing because what we've done as humans, and I'm not some animal guy, <laughs> sound like an animal activist, but that's not the motive for tonight. <laughs> Some of you are like, wow, I didn't know the view is that active in animal rights. <laughs> We're active enough. <laughs> what we've done is, I wrote this down in my notes, Ethan, we have taken the lion that's supposed to be the ruler of the jungle and boxed him in into just being another animal in the exhibit. I think that here in the South, and Katie's in the back, she knows this. Here in the South, the toughest part of doing ministry is realizing how many people have done this with Jesus Christ. I get choked up talking about it. Jesus is described as a lion in Scripture. And what we have done is we have put him in a cage in our lives. We have boxed him in. Instead of allowing Jesus to be the ruler of our lives, just like that cage, we have convinced it down, Jill, to a one-hour service a week. Instead of allowing him to rule our lives in a relationship personally, we have condensed him down to a two-time-a-week, 15-minute devo. What we have done is instead of experiencing heaven and living out a supernatural relationship with Jesus Christ where he speaks to us all throughout the day, we have believers who are walking around never hearing from God because we believe that this whole thing is just a religion. We don't believe in heaven and hell. We don't believe that God loves us. We don't believe that the Spirit is filling us and speaking to us. And we've taken the ruler of the world. We've taken Jesus, the lion. And what we've done is we put him into a cage in our lives, in our heart. See, when you go to the jungle, the lion is still the lion. They just took away his authority to rule. And the reason why believers don't experience heaven on this earth is because we still say that Jesus is Jesus and he's our friend, but we have tried to take away his authority to rule in our lives. And that's why we play in church. See, what's amazing is when you go to the zoo, you're not in an actual jungle. You're just playing jungle. I'm tired of doing that at church. I'm tired of trying to take Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God, and box him in and not allow him to rule and have authority over me and this earth the way he has called us to. Are you? I'm tired of playing church. I'm tired of playing programs. I'm tired of playing religion. That's not how this whole thing was meant to be. How this is supposed to be is you don't just hear from God when I preach a sermon on Monday nights. You hear from God all throughout the week. You don't just experience God in a worship service. When you feel emotional during a song, you experience God in the trials. You experience God in the battles. You experience God when it looks like there is no God. That's where faith comes into play, Haley. When it looks like there is no God, when you're in the middle of a storm, you believe that he is still God. And when you don't see him, that might be because he's still over the storm. 
God is not just on the outside of your depression or your loneliness or your sin calling you out of it. He is right there in the middle pulling you through it. That's how good God is. There is nothing that God cannot save you from tonight. I'll tell you, somebody who he saved. (laughs) Jesus saved me from a laundry list of sins and strongholds. When I thought there was no way to escape smoking marijuana, he showed me that there is a way. What's the way? The way, the truth, and the life. (laughs) And maybe you struggle with marijuana tonight and you think there's no hope for me to get out of this. All my buddies do it. All my friends do it. I'm going to do this for life. Let me tell you something. That's a lie from the devil. The lion is meant to rule in the jungle. And Jesus Christ is calling you to submit and allow him to rule your life. Here's what's amazing. You know how good Jesus is? When you let him rule your life, he will never do something that's not in your and the kingdom's best interest. (laughs) Everything he allows you to go through, everything he calls you to, is for his glory, not yours. If he calls you to be stoned, Paul says, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, let me be stoned. If he calls you to be an engineer, if he calls you into ministry, you guess what? God does not call where he also doesn't lead. <laughs> I don't know who needs to hear this tonight, but I'm so glad to be back at The View. Are you glad to be back tonight? <laughs> Man, I'm so glad to be back tonight that we get to celebrate the goodness of Jesus Christ. I got to keep going. Keep that eye on the clock. <laughs> Keep that eye on the clock. Everybody been giving me a hard time about shot clock. <laughs> I love buzzer beaters. <laughs> I'm trying to be <laughs> trying to be a little bit quicker with it. Trying to be a little bit quicker with it. <clears throat> oh, yes. Before I move on, think about this for a moment. Humor me, if you will. The disciples answered when they said John the Baptist, when they said Jeremiah, when they said Elijah. Think about all those answers that they said, okay? Every single one of those answers shows us something about the world. Each one of those answers represent an anointing from God. John the Baptist was anointing. Elijah was anointed. Every answer they gave off, think about it, Murdoch, every answer they gave off represented anointing. I wrote this down in my notes. The world recognized that Jesus had an anointing from God. They just stripped away the fact that he is God which is directly against his identity as the son of God. Every answer they gave represented anointing, but they removed away the identity of God. See, it's not just enough to say that Jesus was anointed from God. If he's going to be the sinless savior of the world, there's no prophet that can die for your sins. John the Baptist can't die for your sins. There's no pastor that can die for your sins. There's no loved one that can die for your sins. The only one that can die for your sins is a sinless savior who doesn't have any of his own sins. Isn't that amazing? You can't say he's just anointed by God. He's not just anointed by God. He is fully God and fully man. And he is the sacrificial lamb who took on every single sin you've ever committed onto that cross. When the world's view of Jesus creeps into believers' view of Jesus, that's when we stop experiencing heaven and start playing church. I encourage you to write that down tonight. When the world's view of Jesus creeps into a believer's view of Jesus, we stop experiencing heaven and start playing church. And I just don't want to play church. If God is calling you out of sin right now, repent right where you are. I was at a public park the day after Christmas, outside, face down on the ground at midnight. Talk about a more embarrassing place to be. If somebody had been driving by, they would have said, look at that crazy man out there. Midnight, the day after Christmas, laying on the ground, freezing cold, in tears. That was me. That's where I found salvation. That's where my life changed. It was not a stage. It was a park at midnight, alone. If God is calling you to repent and give your life to Jesus right now, do it, man. Like it ain't about Bellevue. It ain't about the view. You ain't joining no, uh, a church today. It's about your soul and where you're going to spend eternity. Revelation 19, 11 to 16, you want to talk about not playing church? You want to talk about really seeing Jesus? Look at these verses. This will be on the screen. Revelation 19, verse 11, then I saw heaven open and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True. Don't you love that? And he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. 
The armies, picture this for a moment. They're going to talk about get outside of playing church, get outside of programs and really experience heaven. Look at this. The armies that were in heaven followed him and on white horses, wearing pure white linen, a sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And then verse 16, one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. He has a name written on his robe and on his thigh. Read this with me. King of kings and Lord of lords. Say it one more time if you're willing. King of kings and Lord of lords. Let me tell you something. You cannot put that in a cage in your life. (laughs) No matter how hard you try, that's a fantasy. That's a fantasy to believe that Jesus Christ will stay inside of a box in your life. That's you and me playing fantasy church. That's playing fantasy Christianity. I'm tired of it, and I bet you are too. (laughs) I love this. That's the kingdom of heaven. You know what else the kingdom of heaven says? I don't have this on my iPad. Here it is on the screen. Look at what Jesus also says about the kingdom in Mark 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Guess what? That kingdom you just saw in Revelation, it's near. It's not far. You don't have to climb a mountain or cross a sea. The kingdom of heaven has come down. And in fact, just in our verses tonight, Matthew 6, I sent the wrong verse to him, but I've got it right here. Matthew chapter 16 In verse 19, we don't have to put that on the screen. I sent you guys the wrong one. That's a typo. In Matthew 16, 19, what we just read about that same kingdom, he says, oh, they got it. Man, these guys in our media team are fantastic, man. Praise God. Make some noise for them tonight, man. Man, that same kingdom, Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I can't get into that tonight. That's next week. Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. I was so excited about doing a two-part sermon. My wife was like, that's kind of geeky, right? I was like, I don't care. I like it. (laughs) I like it. It's like a a TV episode list or whatever. I like looking at the episode titles on the TV shows and stuff. And what am I saying? (laughs) Part two is next week. (laughs) Part two is next week. Please be back for this. I cannot wait for those verses right there. I got to keep going. I got to keep going. Look with me in verse 15 of our chapter tonight, Matthew 16. Verse 15, but you, he asked them. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you, and I want you to know the Greek here for you is an emphatic you. Hallie, it's not a you. Peter wasn't like, you. (laughs) Peter said, you. He looked at Jesus emphatically. He said, you are the son of the living God. John responded, Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. So Jesus asked a more important question. Number two, who do you say Jesus is tonight? Who do you say that Jesus is? Can you imagine this moment? I mean, bring the Bible to life every time you read it. Can you imagine being face-to-face with Jesus? You tell him all these things the world says about him. They're all wrong. Then he looks you, Zach, in the eye and asks, who do you say I am? Can you imagine? That moment, this is not a casual moment, Cole, of, hey, who do you say I am? (laughs) Like, what's that nickname you gave me last week? (laughs) Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. Eyeball to eyeball. Who do you say that I am? In fact, Where is that in my notes? Is that coming up in a minute? Oh, good, that's coming up in a minute. He looks him in the eyes. This moment shows us it does not matter who your family says Jesus is. It matters who you say Jesus is. It does not matter who your professor says Jesus is. It matters who you say Jesus is. There's nobody else who can say who Jesus is for you. You must answer who Jesus is. Is. It's important that you study scripture, that you spend time in God's word, that you find out truth, that you run to what God's word says about the identity of Jesus Christ, because too many college students are more faithful to study the culture than they are to study about Christ. I got to tell you, man, the culture we live in today, there are people who would die for this culture. There are people who want to be so culturally relevant that they would literally lose their life for the culture. There's some 
Christians who are so caught up in religion that they would die for Christian culture. I got news for you tonight. Worldly culture nor Christian culture died on the cross for your sins. Only Jesus did. Why are you and I so caught up in culture? Why are you and I so caught up in what's popular? I'm saying you and I because we're in the same boat. Culture never died for you. This moment that we see right here in Scripture, Jesus is drawing a line. Jesus wants to know what they're going to say. In fact, in one of the commentaries that I was studying for this text, I just had to pull it, man. Sometimes I study stuff and I, and I retype it up. I had to pull this as a straight quote because this was too good. And I don't want to take credit for this. Let's put this on the screen. One commentator said, notice that Jesus did not ask the disciples uh, who they thought he was or who they even believed he was. Think about James when he said, you believe in God. Good. So do the demons and they shudder. He didn't ask who they believe he was, but who they said he was. Jesus wanted to know what they were ready to confess verbally about his identity. This was the point at which they needed to step across the line and commit to the reality of him as Christ or stay behind with the rest of the blind spectators. I read that in my study at my desk alone and started weeping. I started weeping because I started asking myself the question, where do I stand? Who do I say Jesus is? Am I behind with the blind spectators? Do I see Jesus as a lion that I can put in a cage? <laughs> the most important question I can ask you tonight is who you say Jesus is. Do you want to know who Peter sees in front of him? Because it's beautiful. Peter looks at Jesus, the man who stands before him. He doesn't just see who's in front of him with his eyes. He sees who's in front of him with his heart. Peter looks at Jesus' face, a Middle Eastern Jewish rabbi. A blind man could see it. In fact, do you remember when the blind man heard that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by? And he said, son of David, son of David, couldn't see, could not see Jesus. Son of David, don't pass me by. And he had faith that Jesus was not just and a prophet with the Son of God. Peter looks at Jesus, and this is who he sees standing in front of him. God in the flesh, the Savior of humanity, the Redeemer of Israel, the Prince of Peace, the hope for all people, the sacrificial lamb who would die for everybody's sins. Standing in front of him is the living, breathing God. Surrounding the Jews were a whole bunch of false gods, idols, and statues. You know what statues are good for? Standing completely still and doing nothing. <laughs> statues can't move. Statues don't breathe. Statues are not alive. They are made by human hands, and then humans turn around and worship what they have created. That's idolatry. And that's what they were surrounded by. And Peter, as he looks at the face of Jesus, he can see Jesus breathing. He has lived for two years with Jesus. You know what Peter has with Jesus? That none of those false gods can have with their followers? A relationship. There's a statue out in our courtyard. Go out there and try to talk to it. <laughs> you let me know how that conversation goes. If it says something back, come to me because we're going to make a phone call. <laughs> and we're going to get some help in here. <laughs> You cannot have with an idol, with a statue, a relationship. Peter says, I've been walking with this man, with this, with this man, this, this, this rabbi named Jesus for two years. We have conversated back and forth. He has preached. He has healed. He has walked on water. In fact, I started walking out to him, and I was looking at him, and then I got nervous, and I looked around, and I started seeking. Peter realizes he has a real, living, active relationship with the one who stands in front of him. And then Peter realized, you know what? I have never seen him sin. You have a whole lot of friends. Think about your best friend. You ever seen him sin? Dakota, you ever seen me sin? Yep, I've seen him sin too, believe it or not. <laughs> Peter looked at Jesus. I know, you never think Dakota would do that. <laughs> like, not with those shoulders. <laughs> You're like, he might cheat, but not in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> or in his Bible reading. Peter looks at Jesus. And can you imagine realizing he has never sinned? He never saw Jesus tell a lie. 
He never saw Jesus get jealous. He never saw Jesus lust. He never saw Jesus commit a sin, never in his life. And that's why Peter, when he's looking at Jesus, he's looking at him, he sees him breathing, he sees him alive, he thinks about his relationship, and he realizes in his heart to heart that standing before him, the Redeemer of Israel, the Prince of Peace, the Messiah, you are the Son of the living God. And anything can come against you, but it will not prevail. Darkness will not overcome the light. They can kill you. They can crucify you. They can do anything they want to you. And Peter constantly lost faith. But they can do anything they want to Jesus. And they won't win. Because he is the son of the living God. Bless you. I don't want anybody going blessed. And then... Jesus looks at Peter and says, you are blessed. Don't miss this. It was because Peter saw Jesus for who he is, that's the reason he was blessed. Not because Jesus gave him all these laundry lists of blessings in his life or made him rich or make him famous. Jesus says, because you know me, because you see me, that's your blessing. That is all you need. Isn't that amazing? So can I ask you the question of the night again? After all that, that's just our text. Who do you say Jesus is? Have you reached a point in your life where with complete certainty you have looked at Jesus in the scriptures, in your heart, and said, he is the Messiah. He died for my sins. I repent. Have you believed? I believe. Have you ever done that? That's the reason I'm preaching tonight. Not to trance around and, and get loud and put words on the screen, but to tell you that Jesus died for you, he loves you, and if you repent, he will change your life. Maybe you're a believer. When you wake up in the morning, each day, who do you say Jesus is? If someone judged your words and how you live, who would they say Jesus is to you, believer? I met my wife, Hannah, when I was in college in May here at Bellevue. We both started working together in the college ministry. I have a picture of us, so come on the screen so you can see my wife. That's me and my wife. She's amazing. Yeah, amen, amen, amen. I know y'all doing that for her and not me, which is good. <laughs> Praise God. I'm like, oh, where's the rest of his sleeves on his hoodie? Oh, <laughs> <You know? laughs> is that a peace sign? <laughs> Looks like, is he rock, paper, scissors, you know? <laughs> like, come on, Hannah, rock, paper, scissors, you know? There's another couple behind us taking a photo. They were great. <laughs> I just noticed that for the first time. I have no idea who that is. <laughs> what if they're here tonight? That's why I say, that's me, you know. <laughs> Looks like we're in a swamp. <laughs> we were at the zoo. <laughs> when we were dating, I fell in love with my wife for many reasons. The biggest reason I began is because I began to see her for who she truly is. A woman. Obviously, amen. Let <laughs> me get an email. <laughs> a grown woman. I fell in love with her because she acted like a grown woman. She was mature. Guys ask me all the time, who should I date? Who should I pursue? The biggest thing I'd tell them, maturity. <laughs> maturity in Christ and who they are and who they're called to do. If they are not mature, if they don't handle themselves... As somebody who takes their relationship with Jesus seriously and, and takes their relationship at the church seriously and with believers seriously, their job seriously, if they, if they are not mature, mm-mm, mm-mm. You are looking for maturity. And that's what I look for. I wanted somebody who was mature, who handled herself like a woman. And God blessed me with Hannah. I fell in love with her because she was serious about her faith and about ministry. She loved ministry. She loved Jesus the most, and then she loved ministry. In fact, I think she's discipled 50% of the girls in here tonight. <laughs> If you're looking for a group, she's looking for a new one, so let her know. I fell in love with her because she loves evangelism and lost souls. And because I fell in love with her, I reached a point in my life where dating was not enough. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Burge knows what I'm talking about. He had to put a ring on it. <laughs> Trey put a ring on it. Ring by spring. Everybody got to get that ring by spring. Which, you know what? That's another sermon. <clears throat> that's... that's Another sermon. I reached a point in my life where it was time to make a commitment. And on my wedding day, I stood face to face with Hannah and the pastor, Montana Jones, who married us that day. Dakota was one of my best men. He was standing to my right. 
he asked me vows of commitment. And he turned to me and he said these words, do you take Hannah to be your wife? He wasn't asking what I thought about Hannah. He wasn't even asking what I believed about Hannah. He wanted to know what I was willing to say about Hannah. And when I said I do, I entered into a marriage before God and before loved ones. A commitment that I am called to invest in and to uphold. Understand this tonight, college students. When you choose to repent of your sins and confess that Jesus is Lord, you are saying, I do. You are verbally committing your life to Jesus. And it doesn't just get fixed overnight. Jesus can change you overnight. Sometimes there's stuff that takes years for him to work out in your heart. But you are making a commitment to Jesus when you give your life to him. And I want you to know, if you make that decision tonight, that's not some magic word you say. It's not something you check. It's not a fantasy. You are committing your life to Jesus. You are choosing to follow Jesus. You're not just asking him into your life. I hate that language. You're not just asking Jesus into your life like you can give him three hours a day. You are giving Jesus your life. (laughs) You are saying, Jesus, here it is, all of it, because you're going to do far better with it than what I will. Now watch this. For all the believers in the room tonight, I'm speaking to believers, my I do to Hannah, my commitment to Hannah doesn't change based on who I'm around. If I'm at church, I'm married. If I'm at a Grizz game, I'm married. If I'm out of town, I'm married. Where I am and who I'm around does not change my commitment to Hannah. I'm hers and she's mine. Some of us in here, our I do, our commitment to Jesus changes based on who we're around or where we are. It doesn't matter if you're with believers or the most lost pagan souls ever. If you know Jesus, you are his and he is yours. In fact, married men and women get in trouble. And this is how they get in trouble. They don't go around yelling out they're single. (laughs) That's not how they get in trouble. They don't go to the rooftops and say, I'm single, when they're really married. You never see that happen. Here's what they do. They slip it off. Married men and women get in trouble when they go and they slip off their wedding ring. Because you know what that is? They're quietly and, and very sneakily hiding their commitment to their spouse so that they can be free to act the way they want to act. If I do that with Hannah, what kind of commitment is that? And let me tell you something. There's a lot of believers who live their lives where they slip off their commitment to Jesus when they get outside their church walls so that they can act however they want to act. And then they wonder why they don't feel connected and loved by Jesus Christ. We get out there and we start slipping it off. Our words change. Our commitment changes. The way we live our life changes. We get around certain people and all of a sudden we believe we're free to gossip. It's like, oh, I am a believer. I know Jesus. But if you're talking bad about, if you're talking, if you're talking bad about so-and-so, hold on. Set this commitment to Jesus aside. Man, she is the worst. <laughs> she is the worst. I hate her. That dude, I'll never hoop with that guy. He ain't invited to my hoop session. He's on the outside. And then, you, and then that person that you're gossiping around comes around, you're like, hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Good to see you. You doing okay? Great to see you, man. And then they go right past, and you go, gosh, can you believe he's here? Can you believe she came? That's slipping off our commitment to Christ. What about the opposite side of the coin? There's a lot of applications to this. What about when you're alone? See, what I realized early on in my Christian walk, especially as a guy early on, and this is for guys and girls all across the room, it's very easy to come here to The View with this on full force. Oh, I'm a believer. I'll talk to every first-time guest. I'll come up here for the baptism and celebrate. But then when we get alone in our rooms and we have our phone and our iPad and our TV, what we start to do is just slip this off for a minute. We slip this off so that we can commit sin and then run right back to slipping it on again when we leave the house. And I know I'm speaking into your life because this is real stuff. This ain't fantasy struggles. This is real struggles. Idolatry, sin, is cheating on your relationship with Jesus Christ. And if I do that to Hannah, if I slip off my ring and my commitment to her when I don't feel like it, what kind of commitment to that? In fact, what about trials? 
What about hard times? What about when me and Hannah go through financial struggles? What about when something doesn't work out? What about when one of our family members gets sick, right? What about when the honeymoon phase is over? What about when things just ain't glamorous and it ain't shiny and them Instagram posts ain't getting the same comments that they got early on on the engagement photos? What happens then when we go through a trial? Do I just take off my ring, throw in the towel? 50% of marriages end in divorce anyway, so likely if you look at America, half this room could end up in divorce. Why? Because when times get hard, we run from our commitments. That's why a whole lot of believers give up on their faith because times get hard and they look at Jesus and say, I thought you had this. I guess I'll take it. And then they mess it all up. That's not having faith. You hear that silence? Our pastor says it. Right now in this room, this is why we're here. Because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. He's speaking to you. He's laying that sin on your heart. He's laying that person you haven't forgiven on your heart. He's laying that stronghold, God bless you, on your heart. He's laying salvation on your heart. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Will you obey what he's saying to you tonight? Because I don't know what it is, and I'm not going to pretend to. But he does. And that's why he brought you here tonight. Oftentimes, faith shines the brightest in the dark valleys, not the mountaintops. I don't know what kind of battle or storm you're in tonight, but what I do know is that God is calling you to have faith and he doesn't call where he doesn't lead. He will be faithful. At 21 years old, I was broken over my sin. Are you broken? Some of you showed up here tonight and you are trapped in pornography and you hate it. I know you do. Nobody enjoys living in pornography or sexual sin with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, it will eat you alive. It will ruin your heart. It is damaging you in ways you cannot fathom. Some of you showed up tonight and you're trapped in the middle of bitterness. I know what it's like. I've been there. You're trapped and having a hard heart. Honestly, you just want your life to go your way and you want Jesus to get out of the way. I was there. At 21 years old, I wanted everything, the money, the fame. I graduated from Bartlett High School, went to University of Memphis. I was a U of M college student. I wanted to coach college basketball, and I wanted the world. If you had asked me at 21 years old, what do you want? I would have said the world. Give me all of it. I want it. And at my lowest point, God convicted me of sin he broke me over my lifestyle. He broke me over my pride. He said, there is nothing you can accomplish in your life apart from me that's worth anything. Why do you want it? He said, Daniel, your life is this long. It's a dash. But what you spend after this life is eternity. And he said, Daniel, what are you doing with that? And so at a public park, the day after Christmas, I laid down on the ground. I repented of my sins in tears. I gave it all to God. In fact, that night I grabbed a stone. I didn't know what to do. I was lost. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't have any khakis to go to church. I didn't know the Christian terminology. Somebody would have said sanctification. I would have said, huh? <laughs> I picked up a rock that night, and what I was doing is I was making a stone of remembrance, and I didn't even realize it. I took that stone, and I walked over to a creek, and I was probably about this high, actually. I took that stone that night. I said, I looked up to the sky. I said, God... This is my life. This is me trying to do it my way. This is me idolizing having a girlfriend. This is me idolizing social media. This is me idolizing money. This is me idolizing marijuana. This is me idolizing all these different things. I said, God, this is it. This is my old life. And I repented. I held it over this creek. I said, God, I'm dropping it, and I'm leaving it here tonight. But I'm not leaving it in this creek. I knew enough. I knew enough. I said, God, I'm not leaving my old life in this creek. I'm leaving it at the foot of the cross. I said, God, I am leaving my sins and my pride and my arrogance at the feet of Jesus because I know that he paid for it. And you know what? He paid for your sin too. That's why you're here tonight. 
He paid for every single one of your sins. And this is what Galatians 5.1 says about it. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. It's what this means in John 8.36 that said, so if the son sets you free, you really will be free. That night I was set free. I didn't go back to my car and have a briefcase of money magically appear in the side passenger of the seat. A week later, my life had the same storms that I was in, except what had changed was not my circumstances. What had changed was my faith within my circumstances. (laughs) Where are you tonight? There's a lot of people in this room as believers who are in the chains of slavery, and you are not free. There are believers in here who have convinced themselves that they are not free. Just as the Israelites were wandering in the desert, wanting to go back to Egypt to be a slave, there are believers in this room who are in chains to pornography, in chains to pride, in chains to good things like ministry, in chains to the perceptions of people. You are in chains tonight. You have put yourself there, though, because you're a believer, and Jesus broke those chains. Jesus broke those chains. You are no longer a slave. Stop telling yourself you're a slave. Jesus has freed you. In fact, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that you can break through those sins. And experience freedom because it's for freedom that Christ saved you. Don't leave this place tonight. If you want to come up here to this altar and pray, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks of you, you come up here and pray. It doesn't matter what a single person thinks of you in this room. You want to get on your knees and pray and give it to God. You do it here. You do it out there. You do it at home. It doesn't matter. You get on your knees at the feet of Jesus and know that that's the safest place you can be. That's why King David, when he came face to face with Saul and didn't touch him, David bowed and said, you know what? I'm not going to touch you because the safest place I can be is walking and trusting God. The safest place you can be is trusting God. Believer, stop running. Stop living in chains. They're broken. For others of you, though, you are a slave. And I'm sorry to tell you this. You are a slave. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you are bound by chains to sin. And you are on your way to hell. And I don't say that lightly. But the reality is, if you have not repented of your sins, believed in Jesus' resurrection, and confessed that he is your Lord, if you don't have that, there is nobody paying for your sins. (laughs) There is no substitute for you. You will have to pay for that when you die. All you have to do is have faith in Jesus' payment for you and what he paid for your sin, and you can experience heaven on this earth, and you can go to heaven when you die. Why wait any longer? Because Jesus would radically change your life when you fall madly in love with him. He changed 